Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. A reading from the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, planted, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, speak to our hearts this day. Speak to our hearts through the words of your prophet so that we might know who you would have us be and what we are to be about. Speak to us in such a way, O Lord, that in hearing your words read and proclaimed that we might leave this place not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. When I was at Davidson, one of the joys that we had every day was that we would trek across campus to the post office in town. Now, that seems silly, but that was sort of our connection to the outside world long before that whole area had exploded in growth. We're sort of isolated on our own, if you will. And so to walk across campus to the post office was to get connected to the outside world. You opened up that magic box in the post office with your number on it, and there could be a magazine or maybe a check, hopefully not a bill, though that was always how you knew you were still alive when the bills came in. You had that, but there might be a real letter or maybe even a ticket that said you had something waiting, a package. I remember one day that one of my friends said, hey, you want to go to the post office with me? And I said, sure, because that was sort of a social gathering. I mean, you spent 10 minutes walking across campus, gabbing about whatever was going on. And I remember that day I opened the mailbox and inside was a real letter 
for my grandmother. I was so excited to get this letter. It's like, it was the first one she'd written me. I was in my freshman year. It was six or seven weeks in the semester. I was so excited to get this letter from her. And so I, I went back to the dorm room and I got my pocket knife out, slid the top of the letter open, and these were the opening lines. I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> now we laugh, but my grandmother could speak the truth in love. Because what really had happened is I'd been at school six or seven weeks and I had gotten fully invested in college. I mean, I was making new friends. I was going out and exploring the campus, enjoying the community, uh, going to the library a lot, studying an awful lot. That's my official story. I'm sticking to it. I was doing all of those things and I thought I called home a lot, but apparently I'd only called home once. And she had told me when I left for school to not to forget who I was or what I was about, to not forget my family, to not forget the connection that I had. And so sure enough, because I'd only called home once, I sort of had gotten out of bounds. I don't know who you think you are. A wake-up call. A letter from home that reminded me of who I was and what I was to be about and how far afield I had gotten from that. The prophet Micah is writing a letter from home of sorts to the Israelites. He's writing on behalf of God because it counts the ways that the people have disappointed God and how they have squandered all the blessings that God has given them. It is a blunt letter, but it is written in love. The truth spoken that way, and really gets down to the crux of the matter of what God wants from the Israelites. It says it there in verse 8, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. See, this letter from home helped remind the Israelites about who they were and what they were to be about. But it's the same letter for us to remind us of who we are and what we're to be about. The great basketball coach, John Wooden, he wrote these words, the true test of one's character is what one does when no one is watching. John Wooden understood Micah's admonition to act justly. That is to focus upon one's character that's the reason why our schools spend so much time on this idea of character education, because they believe that if they can build good character in their students, it enriches the school community, but it also affects the community outside the school. They recognize that their students need all the reinforcement that they can have, so there's this focus on character education. If we open the newspaper, we realize that movies like The Wolf of Wall Street that depicts sort of the unethical behavior that can happen in business and how that disrupts society and it preys on human weakness and how it actually creates misery for others. Stories about insider trading, college recruitment or college admission scandals, dishonest behavior behind our world leaders reminds us that character counts that it's the most important thing in our lives of who we are. See, the funny thing about character is no one can take your character away from you. It's we that squander it, or it's we that build it up. 
See, we decide because we find our own moral compass about what is right, what is wrong, what is ethical, what is unethical. But here's the catch. The whole world is watching us constantly. Now, parents understand this. Parents are small children because they know that their kids are like sponges soaking up everything that they do. They modify their behaviors. They adopt their language based on what they see their parents doing. Children are learning values right then and there. But see, what God calls us to do, the God of the Israelites, the God of you and me, God calls us to live on a higher plane, a higher level, to set the example so that the world might follow. That we're to have impeccable character, to live with integrity and honesty. We must set the example of when the world is watching, but even when the world is not watching. How wonderful would it be to be known amongst your circle of friends, amongst your coworkers, as someone who is, has high integrity, high set of ethics, high set of morality, so that when they are caught in these moral dilemmas, they pick up the phone and they call you and they say, hey, so I've got this friend that's struggling with such and such. I mean, we all know what that's really about, right? Truly, they may have a friend, but really that friend is you. I've got this friend that's really struggling, and how should I act? I mean, how wonderful would it be if you and I were that authority on character that we could tell them how we would handle it, and they trust us because we live with this idea of acting justly all the days of our lives. There's a story that's told several years ago. It comes from Kenya. It's about a young boy who lived with an adopted family. And he lived in an area where water was very scarce. And so his job in the family system was to get up early. And it may not have been fair, but it was to get up early while everyone else was still asleep and to take this large vessel of water and to walk miles to the water source and to fill it up. And that large vessel was the family's water for the day, all that they needed. And so he would have to get up early in the pre-dawn hours, walk several miles, fill it up, and then bring it back to the house. Seemed like every day that he did that on the way back, he always ran into someone that was thirsty, someone that needed a little water, whether it was an old man or a poor woman or someone in distress. There was always someone, and he always tipped the jar, giving them a little bit of water. Everyone he met, he would share that water with, so that by the end of the trip journey back to his house, the jar was always about half full. His adopted mother was really cruel and mean, and she took it out on him because she said, why do you give our water away? That's the water that we need. If you keep doing this, I'm going to punish you. And sure enough, every day he tipped the water, and soon she'd had enough, and she began to punish him for every day that he came home with the jar half full. And because this happened every day, he got punished every day when he got home. And it was unfair and it was cruel that at one, he had to get up and he was always the water boy. But two, the punishment was just as equally cruel. So one day he got up and he said, I've had enough. I've had enough. It may be unjust I have to get the water, but I'm not sharing the water today. I am not going to be punished. Now, you know, anytime you sort of throw a declaration out there like that, you know what's going to happen, right? Anytime that you throw a declaration out there, there's going to be some dilemma that you run into. And sure enough, he trekked several miles, filled the jar of water, but he's carrying it back, and he's passed several people. He's not shared any of the water today, 
and he's been okay with it. But then he passes a man who is very parched, almost dying of thirst. Nope, I'm not giving it up. I'm not giving up. He actually walks several steps past that person. And then his conscience takes over. And he goes back and he tips that jar until a man is fully refreshed, revived. Now, he's never seen this man before. He seems to be a stranger in the community and in the area, but it didn't matter to him because he did the right thing. And he returned home with the jar half full. Well, you know what was going to happen next. The punishment began, and just as it began, there was a knock at the door. And so the woman stopped punishing the boy, and she goes and opens the door, and as luck would have it, guess who was there? The man whom he'd shared water with just an hour or so earlier. The man was bearing a message, bringing good news. It seems that the family had applied for a boarding school uh, several towns over, a place where this young boy could get his education. A full-ride scholarship and acceptance had been delivered. And what the boy realized in that moment was that if he had not shared the water, that man may not have completed his journey and may not have been his salvation from that terrible situation. What he learned was that the kindness that he shared was repaid tenfold. But the lesson for you and me is that lesson that Micah teaches where we are to love mercy, read that to mean we are to give kindness. See, I think God calls you and I to always live lives of kindness. If there's one thing that our world needs, it's to be shown kindness. Imagine if tomorrow morning you woke up and you looked in your mirror and you, and you looked at the newspaper and the TV news and you thought about all that was going on in the world, and rather than just saying, I can't do anything about it, you said these words. I may be one person in the world, but today I'm going to be the world for one person. I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to give kindness. I'm going to show one person. I'm going to show the world all of this kindness that God has shown me because it's the right thing to do. See, the funny thing about showing kindness is the more that we share it, the more that we give it, the lighter our hearts become. The troubles of the world don't seem to weigh us down. Instead, we begin to understand the kindness and the mercy that God has shown us and the world. To act justly and to love mercy are just two of the ways that God calls us to live. It's a football coach in one of the large college programs, and he tells a story that he finally got fed up of watching the players celebrate when they scored a touchdown because he thought it was sort of superfluous and kind of ridiculous. But you know what I'm talking about, where they would bust through the line, they would score, they would slam the ball, they would do a dance, maybe even an act of play or something in the end zone, all to the detriment of the other team. So he pulled all of his players in the locker room and he said, all right, I've had enough. He says, when you cross the goal line, sure, you have scored, but you haven't done it individually. The defense has given the offense the ball. The special teams have done their part. There are 10 other guys on the team that have blocked for you so that you could score. But if you think back across your lives, you've got coaches and parents and teammates from peewee to high school to now college that have gotten you where you are. When you score, you haven't done it by yourself. You've done it with all their support. How about acting like you've been there before? 
How about acting like there were other people in it behind you? Instead of dancing and doing anything else, just stop the celebrations and just rejoice personally that you've scored and hope that you'll be there again. The team sort of took this route because this coach, as our football coaches, was strong and powerful, so they adopted that. One of the players got drafted a year or two later, and he had a great outing at the NFL. He'd scored that day, and he lost his head for a moment, and he threw the ball down, and he did the whole end zone dance thing and everything else. He was so excited about how he had had a great day. He wanted to call his college football coach and say, Coach, did you see the game? Did you see how good I did? He was doing this to thank the coach, and as he called the coach, he said all those things. And you know what the coach's response was? What was that thing you did in the end zone? It was a letter from home. At that moment in time, the player was reminded of who he was and what he was to be about. See, the funny thing about humility, the whole idea behind it is it puts our lives in perspective, doesn't it? The whole idea about humility is it puts our lives in perspective and we realize who we are in the greater scheme of the world. I mean, Jesus taught about it. He said the first will be last and the last will be first. He talked about coming to a banquet table and even if you thought that you were the guest of honor to not take that seat, but to take one of the lesser seats just in case somebody there outranked you and you were humiliated. Take one of the lesser seats so that you might be lifted up and put in the choice seat if you were the guest of honor. Don't think too highly of yourselves. What Jesus is really teaching us is that all of us are equal in God's eyes, no matter who we are, that we are all equal. We are God's children. I read a lot of leadership books just in general because I'm interested in that subject. And one of the things I've learned, there's two things that I basically boil them down to. One, that leaders exist to serve and leaders exist to develop people. Leaders aren't kings or monarchs that they are to be worshipped or followed or to be aggrandized. Instead, what they are to do is they're to serve their company, to serve their staff, to serve their team, to serve whatever group of people it is that are leading. They are there to serve others. They're there to develop future leaders who are also servants. See, what I think happens is I think God calls us to check our egos at the door and to let God be in charge. And when we do that, when we yield our own ego, our own selfish desires, and we let God be in charge, we begin to know, to hear, and to feel the presence of God all around us. At that moment in time when we start to see that, we begin that all the successes that we have in life, where we've been able to push the ball across the goal line, that they really aren't just ours singularly, that there have been people supporting us every step of the way, and that God in heaven has been guiding us, cheering us on, leading us, empowering us. It's at that moment that we begin to realize that if we live our lives with the humility of spirit, we begin to see how great God is, how much God is involved in who we are and with so much of who we become. So I don't know about you. I don't know if in your life you received a letter from home like I did, whether it came from family or maybe it was a 360 review at work where your coworker spoke the truth to you 
in love. To remind you who you are and what you're about. But when I read these words in Micah, I'm thinking to myself, you know, he was speaking the truth in love to the Israelites and to us. To remind us of who we are and what we're to be about in God's world. And so I invite you to do this with me tonight. I invite you to go home this afternoon, find a post-it note, find a Sharpie marker, and write these three things on it. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Write those on that post-it note and put it right in the middle of your mirror. So that tomorrow when you rise and you start your day, you start it with those things with that letter from home that reminds you who you are and what you're to be about. And I think if we do that, if we were reminded to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, think of the difference that we will make in the world around us. Because we will realize all that God has done for us. And we can share that gift with the world by simply remembering who we are and what we're about. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.